And the title of today's sermon is, yes, you read correctly, <laughs> Zugmoland. You will understand what that means by the time we're done. Uh, let's, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 11, verse number 29. Matthew chapter 11, verse number 29. Zugmoland. It was meant to look like a cheesy Hollywood film slide of some kind of new movie that probably involves zombies. I don't know why it makes me think of that. Um, but it doesn't have anything to do with that. Maybe it's just the letter Z. Uh, Zugma is an actual literary term. I want to talk to you a little bit about this literary term and what it means. I promise you, promise you, promise you. If you are one of these people like myself, that when you go to church and you hear the pastor or the orator, whoever it is, uh, beginning to speak to you that morning, and you find yourself five, ten minutes into it, going, wow, this has really been cool, but it is church. Are we going to walk away with something about Jesus this morning, or is it just going to be like this other thing that we're doing? Um, I'm never, ever having the goal in mind to teach you something about life and not teach you something about Jesus. We're always focusing on Jesus at Edgewater Church. So I just don't want you to get distracted because there's some explanation needed about this word, I promise you. We're going to tie it into the word of God, and I think it's going to do a lot for your life. One reason that I think that is not because I think I put together such a great message, but because God led me in so many different ways this week to this place. And I can only assume that that means that this word is for somebody this morning. So everybody say Zugma. I know you've never said that in church before. I just wanted you to do that one time. Uh, Zugma is a literary term, a literary device that we're all familiar with, although we might not understand or have ever heard the word Zugma itself. Uh, what Zugma refers to is a word or a phraseology that within a sentence, one word can constitute two different meanings without having to be repeated. In other words, if I were to, to say the sentence, uh, my friend Stephen Fonseca over here, uh, who we affectionately call E. That's my boy Stephen, by the way. Make sure you give Stephen a hug before you... If you haven't, there's Stephen. Let me just tell you this real quick about Stephen. If you haven't hugged Stephen, you've never been hugged. <laughs> hug Stephen one time. You'll see what I mean. Stephen, he's a, he's a hugger. He knows how to hug people. Anyway, if I were to say Stephen is and speaks Spanish, that would be a true statement, and that would be a complete sentence, and that would be grammatically correct. But what I've done with Spanish is I've used it as both an adjective and a noun without using it twice. So I said he is and speaks Spanish. So I'm talking about a language that he speaks, but I'm also talking about a culture and a people that he is. If I were to say Cody plays softball and the violin, not only would I be lying twice, but I would have used a Zugma because though <laughs> I don't know, I come up with these on the fly. Uh, the, the way that you play a sport is completely different from the way that you play a violin. But the sentence still works and it does something in your mind and it creates an analogy. And the reason that we're going forward from this point with the Zugma is uh, because of a, a book I was reading and, and these guys started exploring the depth of human thought. And I'm not much on way of philosophy and bringing that into the church and then trying to, um, I don't know, manipulate sermons to fit a philosophy. So when I'm reading a philosophical statement or something that's from a philosophical point of view, I'm trying to see, have they discovered something about humanity? Because if they have, God put it there. And I want to know why God put it there, and I want to know why it works that way. And I believed uh, what these guys were writing, what they were saying. 
Because as soon as they started using examples, my mind started going, yes, immediately when I say Stephen is and speaks Spanish, Spanish does two things in your head without you having to think about it. It just happens. It naturally happens. And the point was that they were making is that all humanity, everything that we do, everything that we think, everything that we say is based on a thought pattern of an analogy. An analogy, basically analogy means comparing one thing to another. I'll give you an example. Say you go into downtown Houston and you walk into a office building, a high rise, a skyscraper that you've never been in before. And you walk up to the elevator and you push the little up button and you wait. The elevator comes down and you step inside the elevator. You turn around and what do you do? Immediately you see a little keyboard, if you will, all the different numbers, all the, all the different floors. You know that before the door closes, you should push one of those buttons so it'll register in the elevator what floor you want to go to. When it closes, it'll take you up to that floor. It'll stop there and it'll let you out. Now, how did you know that even though you've never been in that building before? It's because your mind, without ever thinking about it, puts you in that place and you've been in other elevators, even though you've never been in that elevator, you know how an elevator works because you've been in an elevator before. So your past experience creates an analogy in your mind, a comparison of two things, and you realize uh, the best way forward, the best plan of action in a certain situation based on situations that you've been in before, right? And that is how we think and that's how we know everything in life. Everything you do, if you think about it, when you walked up to Mario's for the very first time, you grabbed the handle on the door and you pulled it open. It could have been a joke. We could have nailed that door shut, could have screwed it shut. It could have been this funny thing. You never know. You wouldn't expect that because that probably has never happened to you before or is very rare. Ninety nine percent of the time when you pull a door handle, it's either locked or it's open. But you understand what the door does. You walked in, you shook somebody's hand because they stuck their hand out to you. Ever thought about how weird that is? You walk up to somebody and they stick their hand out. What if, what if, it, what if it, like an alien came to visit Earth for the first time and you were the first person they met and they walked up to you and they look like regular humans so you stick their hand out, your hand out to them, what are they going to do? They have no idea. Just, they stick their hand out like this, way over here, and you're like... And then you touch hands and they don't know to grab it and it'd be this really awkward, weird thing. But that never happens because at some point when you were a little bitty kid, somebody grabbed your hand and shook it and maybe a man even taught you about the... Uh, the, the, the deeper meanings of a handshake and, and what that's all about and, or whatnot. And so you grow up and you know uh, immediately what to do because of what you've done before. Every step you take, everything that you do is based on something that you've already experienced. And if you walk into a situation where something is totally new and you haven't experienced it, you literally never have, what do you do? You look around for examples of other people doing it. So you can compare and contrast what they're doing with what's in front of you. For instance, you walk into a formal dinner party, you sit down, and there are three forks instead of one. And you're not sure if you're supposed to use the short one, the long one, the fat one, or whatever. What would you do? You look down the, the table and see who else has your meal, whether it's a salad or dessert or whatever, and try to figure out what fork they're using, and that's the fork you'll grab. Everything that we do is based on analogous thinking. And this particular portion of an analogy called a zugma really started to speak to me because immediately I saw that's how God operates in our lives. And I want you to see this because I think this is going to speak to you. I know it definitely spoke to me. So a zugma is when one thing is said, but it can mean two different things. And I want to propose to you this morning that this is how God works, not only in relation to you, 
but it's at how you work in relation to him, whether you know it or not. Let me just give you some examples of uh, Zugma theology, if you will, in the word of God. One of the very first things that God does when he creates man, he takes part of man and he creates woman. But he says, let us create man in our image and all of humanity combined is called mankind, right? Whether you're a man or you're a woman, you're part of mankind. So mankind could have just been man, but God created a duality, a man and a woman. And then look what he asked for that man and that woman to do, to come together and be one. And when he speaks something into your life, especially if you're married, you understand that when something happens, when you encounter something, hardly ever are you and your wife automatically on the same page. A man and a woman will receive the same thing in two different ways. Immediately, you're working within what the literary world would call a zugma. I'm not concerned with the literary world, but I want you to see what happened as I kept studying this word out. So then, in order for the man and the woman to have an opportunity to serve God and obey God, he plants how many trees in the garden? Two trees, right? Tree of life and tree of knowledge of good and evil. Knowing already which tree they would end up going to, and the tree they would end up going to is the tree of knowledge, yes? But it's the knowledge of what? Of good and evil. One knowledge, two different directions. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. Cody plays softball and the violin. You can go either way. It's a zugma. Isaiah 45 and 7, God says, I form the light and I create the darkness. I made peace and I have created evil. I, the Lord, do these things. Now, that can be a confusing scripture. A lot of people don't want to hear or think about the idea that God created evil, even though evil exists and we blame God as the creator of all things. So we're real quick to say God created everything and we're real quick to recognize that evil exists, but we're not real quick to tell people that God created evil because then we don't know what to do next. But I want to tell you, God did that on purpose. But when he did it, he put it in the same tree as good. And he said, pick a tree. We could have picked the tree of life, which had nothing evil about it. But instead, we picked the tree of knowledge. When you pick the tree of knowledge, you're opening up one shell with two realities, good and evil. This is the dichotomy which in we live. Jesus Christ is called the lion and the lamb. There's a reason why he is the olive and the tall, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He encompasses all things. He is one man and he is also God, man and God. He rules in both heaven and earth. And he speaks to every single one of us and he gives every single one of us the same opportunity, but with the same cross and the same blood and the same words and the same gospel, he has produced two different results. Believers and non-believers, Jesus freaks and atheists, good and evil, Zugma. The reason that I want you to, to get your, your mind wrapped around this is because it's going to help you understand how God operates and how God is operating in your life. Do you see that there's this duality? Do you see that with one word? Let me, let me try this in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 9. 
says, whom shall we teach knowledge and to whom I'm sure who shall he teach knowledge and to whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Those that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast for precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line here, a little there, a little verse 11 for with stammering lips and another tongue. Will he speak to this people? Everybody say the word. Verse 12, to whom he said, this is the rest wherewith may cause the weary to rest. This is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. Verse 13, but the word of the Lord was unto them, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they might go, fall backwards, be broken, snared, and taken. Wherefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scornful men that rule this people, which is in Jerusalem. In Isaiah 28, what I want you to see there is the word of the Lord coming to the prophet Isaiah. And he says, whom shall we teach? Whom shall we make to understand? And he says, I'm going to give my people this word. Precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little, with stammering lips and another tongue shall I speak to this people. And there are some people that are going to receive because he says, this is the rest wherewith we will cause the weary to rest. Everybody say, that's me. That's us that want to receive the word of God. That's us that have heard the word and tried to turn towards him and not away. But then he goes on to say that same exact word, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little, is going to cause a whole nother group of people to fall backwards, be broken, snared and taken. It's the same word, but it's going to produce two different results. He understands this when he speaks. He understands this. God understood this before he sent his dear son into this world to save us from our sins, that it was going to be divisive, that there was going to be a duality and there was going to be a different type of reaction with two different sets of people. It is a zugma, one thing, two different results, two different meanings. Do you see that? We're going to be in John chapter 12 for our next portion of scripture. John chapter 12, verse 44. Jesus cried and said, He that believes on me, believes not me, but on him that sent me. And he that sees me, sees him that sent me. You see how everything he's saying is a zygma or zygmatic, if you will, a duality. I am come a light into the world that whosoever believes on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hears my words and believes not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. But he that receives me and receives not my words will have one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. So this is Jesus basically telling everybody that I came and I, I'm me. But also when you've seen me, as he told Philip, you've seen the father. When you've heard from me, you've heard from the father. I am one person, but I have a dual nature. I am man, but I am also God. You're either going to believe me or you're not going to believe me. Here's what, I, here's, what I want you to, here's what I want you to understand. Here's what I want you to do this morning. As Christians that are walking with the Lord. Everybody say, Jesus, Jesus. help us. Help pastor this morning. Everything in life, we are so interconnected. That it's crazy. You speak English because you were raised by people that speak English, right? If you were raised in a different part of the world that spoke a different language, you would speak a different language. 
You are a result. One author said, I am the combined efforts of everyone that I've ever known. As are we all. The combined efforts. Everything that we do in life has been planted to some degree and in some way inside of our minds in the form of a thought before we ever actually acted out on that thing. Everything that you do begins as a thought. And those thoughts breed emotions, they breed actions, and they breed words. I know we were all told a lot growing up, think before you speak. And of course, it's impossible not to, but some of us just don't think long enough. We just open our mouths anyway. But there's nothing that ever came out of your mouth that you didn't think about first. Nothing that you ever did that wasn't planted in your mind. Nothing, no emotion that you ever had that wasn't a result of something that you experienced. Something that you came in contact with. The analogies that we're talking about earlier. So every thought, every action, every emotion is a result of some kind of interaction that you've had with mankind. The way that you were raised, your mom and your dad, your friends that you hung around, the people that you grew up with, whatever it is, have all had a part in molding and shaping who you are. And because of who you are, you will react a certain way to things that happen in life. And it's been said that life is 10% action, 90% reaction. You can't control everybody's actions around you, but you do have control of your own reactions. Here's what the Bible says about the words of our mouth, which turn into actions, which cause thoughts in other people's minds, which cause emotions in those around us. It says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. Yes? Life and death are in the power of the tongue. This is all going to come together. How many of you have ever prayed a prayer and wondered why God didn't answer that prayer? How many of you have ever prayed a prayer? How many of you have ever thought, you know what? Am I the only, this is not what I was about to say. Am I the only one sweating like crazy? Is it hot? Did somebody mess with the AC earlier? Oh, did you? Thank you. You are a gentleman and a scholar, sir. Whew. Thank you, Lord. AC. AC is good. Um, we've all prayed prayers. We've all felt like we've had times in our lives. How many of you have ever thought that, you know, you've come to a place where it's very intense, you really needed something from God, whether it's a healing, whether it's a word, whether it's a change in your situation, and you've thought to yourself, you know what, I've prayed before and not seen God move, I've prayed before and not really gotten an answer, and I've whined and cried, and I've thought about why, but right now, this is because I wasn't this serious, now I'm serious, now I need this thing, I'm about to cry out to God, this is about to get real, you feel it in your bones, something's going to move and something's going to happen. All right, I'm even willing to say, all right, God, all the prayers you haven't answered before were my fault. But this one's about to be on you because I'm serious. Like, I got to see something right now. All those other times, I'll just concede I didn't pray hard enough. But I am about to pray hard enough. I mean, way hard enough. It's going to scare people. Somebody's going to call the cops and they're going to have to come by because I'm being something crazy. Things are going to break. Whatever has to happen. And you just know that you know that you know. That if you get down on your knees, if you cry hard enough, if you wrench hard enough, if you just have almost a, a, a like an aneurysm in your brain or a hysterectomy type feeling in your stomach, like I am gonna was that too far? I don't really know what that is. Am I gonna am I gonna make I'm gonna make this happen? Like you're gonna birth this thing is gonna happen. I don't know all these terms. They just pop. 
Apparently, you know these terms. Good for you. Um, that kind of a prayer, that kind of a fervent, demonstrative prayer, and then not had it answered. Oh, God, what do you do then? What do you do then? Keep praying for sure. But day in and day out, you're, you're, you're living your life. Jesus is in the forefront of your mind. You're trying to convince your friend over here that is having a terrible time and doesn't really know God how good God is. You're trying to convince your family that if they'll give their life over to God, he's going to help them fix things. And in the back of your mind, you're going, you hypocrite. Because you just like seriously hurt yourself praying and God hasn't done anything for you. How are you going to turn around and tell somebody else God's going to do something for them? What is it about God or your experience that you somehow think that you know God is going to move in their situation, even though you are currently very, very upset because he has not moved in yours? And you even just had a pity party where you remembered every time that he didn't move. But it's still your job because you're a Christian and the pastor told you and the leadership told you that if you're going to be a Christian, it's not enough to sit still in your seat. You need to go out there and be a witness. Jesus said it. Be a witness to the entire world. Judea, Jerusalem, all the surrounding areas. Your job is to tell people about me, he said. This is the great commission, if you will. So we're out there doing it. We're out there doing it. But in the back of our minds and in the pit of our stomachs, we haven't seen God move in a while. We haven't gotten the answer to our prayer. We ask God for financial increase. And even though we probably tore a tiny muscle in our abdomen praying for that so hard. No money fell out of heaven. We prayed for our family to come closer together. Weeks ago, months ago. And as we stand right now, they've been even pulled further apart. How's that possible? God's all about family, isn't he? God's all about blessing, isn't he? We pray for our relationship. We prayed for God's will. And then we told him what his will was. That we would stay together. God, that me and this girlfriend, me and my fiance would fall more in love. God, we want your will. Don't really know if that's his will. So we're letting him know that's his will. By the way, when I say your will, this is what I'm asking for. And it hasn't happened. Maybe it's gotten worse. Praying for that child to come to God. That child that was partying, that was out and about, that was doing this, that, or the other. Two weeks ago, you prayed for them to come to God. And this week, you found out that they started trying the newest drug. Before, when you prayed, they weren't even doing drugs. Then you prayed, and now they're on drugs. It doesn't make any sense. It's like the things that you're praying for, they're not only not getting better, they're physically actually getting worse. How is that possible? How is that possible? 1 John 5 and 14 says, This is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Verse 15, And if we know that He hears us, Whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we've desired of him. 
Some people try to blame the idea that we don't get the answers that we're looking for on the idea that we're not praying according to his will. I don't really buy into that unless your prayer is so specific that you're leaving no room for his will, like the fiance prayer a second ago or whatever it is that you're you're telling him what his will is. Then maybe perhaps you're looking for something that's never going to happen. But if you're just offering up a generic prayer, God, I need help with my relationship. God, I need help with my finances. God, I need your will done in this area, this situation. Let me go ahead and clear your mind and help you with uh, help you with some of the confusion if you have decided to follow after Jesus Christ, you're never going to get it all perfect. You're never going to get everything down pat. But if you've given your life over to him, if you're even here this morning in his name, if you even seek anything in his name, then you are doing his will. You're in his will. He doesn't expect you to have A, B, C, D, one, two, three, every plan of his will jotted down, understood in your head 110% what you're supposed to do tomorrow, what you're supposed to do the next day, what you're supposed to do when you wake up, who you're supposed to go, blah, 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 whatever you're supposed to do. He wouldn't have said, don't even worry about tomorrow if that was the idea. But he said that. He said, don't worry about tomorrow and don't worry about where you're going to go. The evils of today are sufficient for themselves. Now faith is worry about now. Everybody say now worry about today. You don't have to worry about all the intricacies of his will. You just have to walk with him, dance with him as we talked about, and you'll end up on that path to his will. So if you're praying for God to help you, let me help you this morning by telling you, you are in his will. Okay. And if you are in his will, it says right here that he hears you. And if he hears you whatsoever, we ask, We know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Everybody say, I know. know. So what's the problem? The problem, my friend, lies in the zugma. Lies in this dichotomy, lies in this duality. Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, to go back to our key scripture this morning. Says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me." me. Let me say that again. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. When I got my head out of the literary books and into the word of God, and I wanted God to show me this concept in his word, I decided to study the word instead of the concept. And when I started to study the word, I realized it was a Greek term. And when I realized it was a Greek term, what does that literally mean in Greek? And in Greek, it literally means, are you here this morning? I want you to catch this part of the sermon. We're coming to a conclusion. Everybody alive? Everybody awake? The word literally means in Greek, lightly yoked. So when I saw that, I thought, is there a chance this term appears in the Bible? So I went to Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, and it says, take my yoke upon you. Guess what that word is in Greek? Zygma, or zygos, is the plural. But if you look it up and you find its root word, it's zygma. Take my zygma upon you and learn of me. Take my zygma upon you and learn of me. What does that mean with what we're talking about this morning? Take my duality upon you and learn of me. Take my dual nature upon you and learn of me. Let me unlock it for you this morning. This is what he's saying. Understand that when you seek me, when you pray to me, when you ask me for something, 
you are asking as a man and everything that God could possibly deliver to you on this earth is going to have to do you some earthly good. And you are asking from an earthly perspective. If you're asking me for finances and I give those to you, that will do well for you on earth. If you're asking me for relationship help and I fix that for you, that will do well for you in your day to day life. Anything that you're asking of God, if he delivers it to you from heaven where he hears you, it will do you some earthly good. But that is not the fullness of who he is. He has a dual nature. He's saying, look, I'm not cannot just answer you as a man. I also have to answer you as God. So whenever you send a petition up, I cannot just make it happen on earth. I also need to make it happen in heaven. It has to be good for both. Remember how Jesus prayed and he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. When he taught his disciples, he said, let it be done on heaven as it is on earth. He is God and he is man. He said, if you bind anything on earth, it will be bound in heaven. If you loose anything, it will be loosed in. It's got to be heaven and earth. There's a dual nature. So when you're sending up prayers to God, are you with me this morning? He says, take my yoke upon you. Take my duality upon you. Understand, I am not a genie in a bottle. I am not simply a man that can give you everything that you want or need, regardless of how in my will you are. Everything that we do up here, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, it has to benefit heaven before it benefits earth. And if it's not going to benefit heaven, there's no reason for me to give it to you on earth. And we're not looking just about your earthly life, by the way, man, young man, young woman. We're looking at eternity. This thing you prayed in my will, if I just give it to you the way you want it, is it going to get you one step closer to heaven? If it's not, then don't get so upset. And here's the thing. You don't really know if it is or not. So you just have to stand back and trust God. Now, here's how I want to sew this thing up and put a nice little bow on it. Romans chapter eight says. All things. Everybody say all things. All things things work to good for those that love God and are called to his purpose. Well, when Jesus summed up all things, how did he do it? He said, I am the alpha and the omega. I am the beginning and the end. In order to sum up all things, you only need two things. Everything that has been shall be, the Bible says. There's no new thing under the sun. He knows the end from the beginning. In between the end and the beginning exists what? All things. So you could feasibly say both things, everybody say zugma, both things work to good for those that love God and are called to his purpose. All things work to good for those that love God and are called to his purpose. I am the Lord your God. I've created both good and evil. Why'd you do that? Because all things work to good. In other words, if Pharaoh didn't do what he did, I wouldn't have done, been able to do what I wanted to do, delivering my people. There's so many evil things that happen upon the face of the earth. God doesn't make them all happen, but he's created the ability for them to happen. And regardless of how bad it gets, it can't get worse than God is good. And all things work to good. For those that love God and are called to his purpose. Let's see how this scripture ends itself here. Verse number 29 of Matthew 11. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. 
for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. Verse 30, for my yoke, everybody say Zugma, is easy and my burden is light. When you seek God, when you walk with him, when you pray to him, do not let the heaviness of time wear you down. Well, God, I asked for this and I don't see it happening. Well, look a little bit harder because you're looking for it in the physical. Have you have you seen what I'm doing in your spiritual life or did you miss it because you're only focused on one thing? And because that one thing isn't happening the way you want it, you've totally abandoned the other thing. Well, really, what I need you to do is get on board with the other thing and then all things will work out. So many times we pray. God, I need help with my finances. He opens the door, but we don't see it. Because we're looking for a check in the mail. And he's saying, no, 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 I, I, I'm going to help you with your finances. He told the young rich man, go sell everything you own and follow me. That guy decided to make something negative out of it, and he left. Instead of receiving the positive of it, which was God telling him, you're so connected to your stuff and your wealth and your riches, it doesn't matter how good you follow the law. He couldn't learn. He couldn't understand. He couldn't see. Some things that Jesus said made some people run from him while it made other people run to him. And it's how it happens in our lives. There's this zugma, this duality. And we have to decide. Our worship team can go ahead and come up. And we have to decide how we're going to relate to that, how we're going to react to that. Well, Father, let my family be drawn closer together. Then some tragedy hits. Guess what? Not that he made the tragedy hit, but he'll use it. It's an opportunity. You can come closer together or you can go further apart. Just like the examples he was using. God, give me patience. And then you run into a situation where it's all but impossible to have patience. And you turn and look at God. Why is this happening when I'm asking for patience? And God in all of his zoomatic duality is trying to tell you this is the answer to your prayer. You don't understand You just want something that's going to work out on earth, but we have to have it work out in heaven. So I can't just zap you, as Morgan Freeman said, with patience. I need to put you in a situation where you can learn to be patient. I can't just zap you with courage. I've got to allow you to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, David, so you can learn how to be courageous. Because otherwise it's fake. Otherwise you have no testimony. Otherwise it doesn't do anybody any good. Otherwise you'll take that courageous nature. You'll take those finances. You'll take that magical patience that I gave you. And you'll turn around and you'll use it for your own gain. But you won't gain heaven. And that's really what you want. So when you're seeking his face. When you're praying and you desperately want something. When you're crying out to God and you know that you know that you know, you can go ahead and stand, that he needs to move and he's got to move in this situation. You need to have yourself open to the dual nature of God. That he speaks for heaven and earth. And there's so much more that goes into that. We could talk about that for hours. But God just put that on my heart to share with you this morning. The yoke of the world is heavy. The burden of the world is heavy. 
But the yoke, which, by the way, if you study it out biblically, more often than not contains oxen, 2, verses 1. You look that word up in the Greek definition in the Bible, and what it says is a perfect balance. That's what that yoke creates, a perfect balance. Whether you know it or not, that's what you want. You don't want to be too spiritual. I know that sounds sacrilegious in church. But there are people that, I think Aaron turned me on to the phrase, so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. In other words, you're so spiritual, you have no relationship with people. And you don't want to, obviously, we know we don't want to be too much in the flesh. So much about people, we have no relationship with God. What we want is that perfect balance, that perfect yoke. Now, if you really have that balance in your life, then when you pray for something, you should be willing that God is going to answer you completely different than what you wanted. Because the what you wanted might not be good for somebody else. But the way he's going to give it to you could be good for everybody. I don't know. All things work to good. So you've got to leave yourself open and trust that God knows best. Remember how we started out talking about how everything you think, everything you do is based on a comparison and an analogy? Today is a day where you can change all of that. If you are a negative-minded person, it's because you've chosen to make the negative comparisons and analogies about things in your life. Today, you can change that. If every time something begins to go a little bit wrong in your life, all you see is the worst end of how it's going to go completely wrong, it's because you've been trained that way. It's because the experiences in your life have made you that kind of a person. But even those of us that might be pessimistic or negatively minded have had moments in life where we reacted to something so differently than we normally would that we even surprise ourselves. And those of us that are quote unquote positively minded have had moments where we've been so nice and reacted so well and been so patient that we surprised ourselves who are supposedly naturally optimistic. What I'm telling you this morning is right now, You can choose to always react on the side of good, always react in the way that God is in control, always react in the way that God is good, always react in the way that God is there, always react in the way that God is present. I'm not saying you'll never have a negative thought or never have a moment, but in that moment, you can convince yourself, you know what? No, God is good. God is good. God is present. God is here. Maybe I'm missing it. Maybe I don't see it, but I know this to be universally true. God is present and God is good. And because of that, I choose to speak life and not death. I choose to believe and not complain. The way you think, the zugma of your existence. That's why I called it zugma land. It's where we live. You have choices, two choices every day. Life or death, good or evil, light or dark. It's up to you. You know where God lives and you know how God is. So are you with me this morning? Let's be God seekers. Let's be believers. Let's be people that induce the Clear Lake area with thoughts and and words of faith and belief. Let's be those that speak life. Let's be those that when people run into us in the mall, we have a smile and a wave. We have a handshake or something good to say. Let's be the people behind the people at Starbucks who when they forgot their wallet will buy their drink. Let's be the people at the grocery store that help somebody out. Let's be the people that don't just offer the homeless guy $2, but we offer the homeless guy a prayer, maybe a hug, a handshake, depending on how long you have at that stoplight. Let's be those 
that change our atmosphere and change our environment with random acts of kindness or an act of random kindness or whatever you want to say. Because if we do that a little bit at a time, if we are God thinkers, if we land on the positive and the life speaking side of the zugma of life, if you will, that can change the world. That can literally change the world. We might only have the ability to change this area. But this area has the ability to change the area next to it. And so on and so forth. But you have to decide. I'm one person. I can decide to do it for me. Together we are a lot stronger. We all decide to do that. The sky's the limit. Amen? Zugma land.